AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon, our first Tuesday afternoon visit with Patrick Hulican of the year 2024. Patrick, of course, is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as each Tuesday we chat about some of the stories that they've been working on and the latest in Minnesota news and politics, as we have well, no shortage of topics to uh, talk about today, including Patrick's column on the Minnesota Republican Congressional Delegation, uh, not exactly showing a lot of spine. We'll also be talking about Keith Ellison, the Attorney General of Minnesota, suing a dairy farm for wage theft, and we'll be talking about how Minnesota is number one in a category that probably won't exactly thrill Republicans. So let's get two things, though. Patrick, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, let's start off talking about your column on our Minnesota Republican Congressional Delegation, because all four of them, probably to no one's surprise, have decided to endorse Donald Trump for president. Let's first talk about what exactly the position is of all four of our Congress people on Donald Trump, because, well, Tom Emmer's stance is especially interesting, being that well, Donald Trump has been criticizing him a lot in the past, including calling him a rhino, but lo and behold, all four of our Congress people well on board with the Trump train here in 2024. Yeah, Tom Emmer uh, was actually a somewhat early endorser uh, back in the 2016 campaign, uh, I think uh, reflecting uh, his uh, sixth district constituency uh, who were big fans of Donald Trump. Um, but after the 2020 election, uh, Emmer uh, voted to to uh, ratify the results of the, the election that made Joe Biden president. Um, and he kind of laid out his position as to why he did so. Um, and of course, Trump is, is known to have a, a long memory and uh, he never forgets a slight. And so when Emmer made his very short lived effort to become speaker of the U.S. House during the, the, uh, the fall chaos and in, in the uh, House Republican conference, Trump came out hard against Emmer, uh, as you said, called him a globalist rhino, which I guess is about the worst thing he can be called um, in the Republican Party these days. Um, and and probably uh, that uh, the the uh, the resistance from Trump probably uh, ultimately prevented Emmer from becoming speaker. Um, and yet Emmer turns around now a few months later and uh, endorses uh, Trump to uh, to be the nominee before we've even started the contest, and then, of course, to be president. Um, I'm less surprised by uh, Michelle Fischbach. She uh, also she did not vote to ratify the 2020 election results. She seems to have gone uh, uh, full Kool-Aid um, out there. I knew her when she was in the state Senate. She was uh, seemed like a, a pretty reasonable person to me. Uh, but I guess it's uh, maybe different when you go to Washington. Um, and remember, she was on Fox News shortly after the 2020 election saying that uh, that that they were just, quote unquote, finding votes um, to give to Joe Biden when, in fact, they were just counting votes. Um, and so that was a, a particularly egregious uh, smear of of the election administration folks in places like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Um, but the other two guys uh, from the first and, and the eighth district, I think they probably just kind of go along with what Emmer says. Um, and so we're left with this uh, conundrum of Tom Emmer, um, the, the supposed constitutional conservative, 
who said uh, after that 2020 election, um, in the middle of the big lie and the attempted coup, uh, that um, we, uh, as he said in, in his letter, uh, that the events of January 6th were an unacceptable display of violence that runs counter to everything we stand for as a country, uh, and also said that Congress does not have the authority to discard an individual slate of electors certified by a state's legislature um, in accordance with their constitution. So in other words, he hated January 6th. He didn't think that Congress could overturn the election results as Trump wanted them to do. And yet here he is turning around uh, just uh, you know three years later and, and saying Trump should be president. Um, and so it, it just to me, it's, it's, it's an outrageous uh, lack of any kind of political courage um, on his part. Well, I think as we take a look at the congressional delegation of our Minnesota Republicans, to me, and this is my opinion, I think they represent the exact problem of what we have in the Republican Party right now, where it's easy to obviously go and blame the extremists, whether it's Lauren Boebert or Louis Gohmert or whoever else. But to me, I think the people like Tom Emmer, or even if we look nationally at like Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, or even Bill Barr, I think these types of Republicans are really the problem that, well, essentially are just going to open the door to a desbit when you see people like, as we were talking about Tom Emmer or even Michelle Fishbach, people who, as you were talking about, seemed relatively reasonable back when they were in the state legislature and before they came into the national spotlight. They seem to know what exactly the right thing is, but, well, here they are, as Donald Trump says, bending the knee exactly when it counts, and that's largely all four of our Congress people here in Minnesota, I guess maybe besides Finstad, simply because we just simply don't know a whole lot about him, but Emmer, Fishbach, and Pete Stauber all seem to kind of be in that cloth of being, well, more establishment Republicans, but at the end of the day, they'll always still go to Trump no matter what. Yeah, I mean, some or, you know, Mitch McConnell is the best example or, or Paul Ryan, they know better. And, and you hear all these accounts out of Washington reporting about how, um, you know, people will say on background or off the record that they, they all, they all make fun of Trump and they, they say he's the worst. And, and yet um, they, they can never uh, stand up to him because it'll be the end of their political career. And, um, and it becoming irrelevant is the scariest thought for, for so many politicians um, and, and I like, and you, you mentioned the bend the knee thing. And, and so it was, um, really humiliating, I think, not just for Emmer, but for the, for the, the people of the sixth district that, uh, who he represents when the New York times reports on Friday that Trump keeps very close track of who is endorsing him. And he especially likes it when anybody who has crossed him before has now endorsed him. And, and the quote that he, uh, he apparently said to somebody, uh, was, they always bend the knee. Um, and, you know, I, that's what we have seen time and again uh, since he uh, became the leader of the Republican Party in 2016. And um, it's, uh, it's really demoralizing, I think, for anybody who's a small D Democrat, anybody who believes in a, in a constitutional republic uh, and, and not um, a despot. Uh, uh, the word that I, I used in my column and that you used as well, because that's that's the the path that we're on when a guy uh, can um, go to extra legal means to try to retain uh, his grip on power after the voters have rejected him and then use uh, a violent mob. Uh, that's the direction we're moving. 
if he were to be reinstalled as president. Well, you can read more about that column over at minnesotareformer.com. Minnesotareformer.com. Encourage you to check it out because, yeah, as uh, we were talking about, we have, well, four Republican Congress people here in Minnesota who don't exactly have the strongest of spines. And it's just interesting that, yeah, not none of the four are like the Lauren, Lauren Boberts or Louis Gohmerts, but also on the other side, they're not like Mitt Romney or even Liz Cheney or former Representative Adam Kinzinger. They're just kind of that... GOP establishment that will go along with Trump no matter what. So make sure you go check out that column, minnesotareformer.com. Let's go ahead and talk about some wage theft cases here in Minnesota because there is a Minnesota dairy farm that is facing a $3 million wage theft lawsuit that involved hundreds of immigrant workers in Minnesota. This is Max Nesterak reporting, saying that Attorney General Keith Ellison filed one of the largest wage theft cases in the office's history yesterday against Evergreen Acres Dairy alleging that the company robbed hundreds of immigrant workers of at least $3 million in wages while taking even more from their paychecks and while largely putting them in very overcrowded and unsanitary conditions, to say the least. So let's talk a little bit about some of the conditions that these workers face, because these are just absolutely atrocious, whether it's shaving hours, having no payments for their first few weeks on the job, or having very substandard housing. Uh, Yeah, this is uh, straight out of, well kind of your worst case scenario of what like we uh, used to have our workers treated like during the Gilded Age. This is a pretty ugly situation from what I've read. Yeah, the details of the complaint are are shocking um, and, and outrageous. Uh, as Max reports that the, the, the dairy owners regularly took 12 to 32 hours uh, out of each two-week paycheck. They didn't pay overtime. Um, they would also not be paid for the first two weeks they worked and often um, not receive their final paycheck. Uh, they, they also uh, would, would charge rent um, to keep uh, folks, these workers, in um, really ugly conditions. Uh, for instance, uh, they might have to share a bed so that somebody would go do a 12-hour shift and then um, they would come back and then they, they would swap out with somebody um, and the person who uh, who was resting during the day would then go out and do the night, the 12-hour night shift. They're sharing a bed. Uh, they lived in, in garages and barns and other other buildings um, that were clearly unfit for for uh, for humans. And um, you know, lots of mold. Um, in some cases, they lived in in buildings without toilets. Um, and then there was a lot of threats involved. Uh, this is all according to the complaint brought by Attorney General Keith Ellison. A lot of these workers are undocumented uh, immigrants. Uh, thankfully, there's a Biden administration rule that allows them to um, help on an investigation uh, without having to worry about deportation. Um, but really a, uh, a shocking set of uh, alleged facts here. And I think a, uh, a really clarifies should clarify for folks the uh how much it matters to have um somebody in in the attorney general's office who cares about this issue of wage theft um you know if we're gonna we're gonna get people for knocking over a liquor store we ought to get uh be interested in getting and going after folks who who are just outright stealing money um from workers and um so i i think it shows how important uh, the Office of Attorney General is. 
Yeah, and just to even piggyback on that point even more, as we talked about, many of these workers were immigrants who probably are very hesitant to go to law enforcement and report that, well, we're living in these horrible, illegal conditions with our housing or our wages are being stolen. That's a little intimidating to do as an immigrant. As someone who's very freshly new to the country, doesn't want to lose their job or risk deportation, that's why you need the role of someone like an attorney general who can fight on behalf of people who uh, generally might be a little bit more nervous about doing that type of thing. Right. And, you know, you can imagine a certain kind of Republican attorney general essentially telling these workers to, to pound sand um, and, and, and and whether or not by uh, default or not, just protecting um, a uh, an employer who is exploiting workers like this um, because they don't um, <clears throat> they're not willing to, to listen to these uh, the stories of, of immigrants who are undocumented. We'll read more about the report that Max wrote over MinnesotaReformer.com titled Minnesota, Minnesota Dairy Farm Faces $3 Million Wage Theft Lawsuit Involving Hundreds of Workers. Well, one last story I wanted to talk to you about has to do with the fact that we're number one. Well, not exactly in a category that Republicans are thrilled about because we're number one in having the highest corporate tax rate in the country at 9.8% as we recently beat out New Jersey. So naturally, as you would think, companies must be fleeing Minnesota and we must be having terrible economic conditions with a high employment rate, businesses fleeing. Well, turns out that's not the case as we have, well, one of the lowest employment rates in the country, unemployment rates, I should say, in the entire country. I don't want to mix that up. While also having one of the strongest economies in the country. So my question for you, what are your thoughts on this overall report showing that we have the highest corporate tax rate in the country, but lo and behold, we still have pretty healthy economic conditions and an overall pretty uh, high quality of life here in our state? Yeah, I've lived in um, a place uh, in Nevada. I was a reporter there for seven years, and it was famous as a tax haven, um, also famous for uh, being a pretty uh, terrible place to live, especially if you were uh, sick or a child. Or um, in need of any kind of uh, specialty health or mental health care. Um, Sounds like basically or, if you were uh, a human without a, being a millionaire, yeah, you might have. Been yeah, terrible. exactly. <laughs> if you didn't have a car, I mean, it's um, you know the uh, taxes are the price we pay for for civilization, and um, our robust tax uh, system here uh, has uh, created um, a great uh, for. for uh, for a lot of people, anyway, uh, good schools, healthcare, um, parks, and other amenities. Um, the problem is that it, we haven't reached everyone, and that's that's the ongoing project here in Minnesota, and certainly what we're focused on as a reformer. But um, those, uh, insofar as we have a, a pretty good quality of life here, and you can see that in all kinds of different metrics, like um, starting with life expectancy. Um, but also um, uh, incomes and homeownership and, uh, as you said, the unemployment rate, uh, th- that's in large part, or at least in, in part due to the fact that we have the, the resources um, to, to make it happen. And, um, and not only that, but we, uh, there's a new report out today we talked about um, before we got on the air here, uh, by a national nonprofit that ranks states by tax progressivity. In other words, uh, what share of income do poor people versus rich people pay? And Minnesota has the most progressive uh, tax system 
in uh, in the country, which isn't saying much because most states have very regressive uh, tax systems that rely too much on sales tax. But one of the reasons that we're we're progressive is that we we actually force corporations to pay um, uh, something close to their their fair share, and um, and so that helps our tax progressivity. So not only do we have all these uh, this robust uh, government sector that provides uh, pretty decent schools and uh, healthcare, social services, transportation, et cetera. Um, but we do it in a way that isn't uh, quite so harmful um, to um, working class people. So um, they're not shelling out uh, tons of money when they uh, when they go to Target um, to, to pay for those services. So it, it works on both ends, at least in my view. Well, I like that measurement you were talking about, too, not just looking at so often when we compare tax rates from state to state, we always look at, well, what's the overall rate? I like that measurement of, well, looking at tax fairness, because that's a much better measurement than just looking at the overall tax rate, because as we were just talking about for the past few minutes, that's not necessarily a predictor of, well, the quality of life in a state. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's another issue on this this idea of, uh, you know, I think, a lot of Republicans would like us to be uh, some kind of a tax haven, uh, like Nevada or South Dakota, North Dakota. Um, what type of people and companies um, do you attract uh, when you are advertise yourself or market yourself as a tax haven? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, they're just not the kind of companies that with any kind of social ethic at all. Or, um, they tend to be uh, people who are um, almost solely focused on the bottom line. And I don't know that that's really even the kinds of people or companies that we want to attract here. Yeah, I would agree in that uh, it would be tough to even try to compete with a state like North Dakota or South Dakota on their tax rates simply because you'd have to pretty much cut things to the bone to even try to be competitive with them when they've been uh, established as tax havens for uh, so, so long. Well, you could That's remember- a key point. Yeah. Is that why, why, I mean, why should we go into that race that we're never going to win. And so what we need to do is, is market ourselves as a place um, with a really high quality of life where, yeah, you pay for it. Um, but in all these different measures, uh, we offer a better quality of life for more people. Yeah, exactly. And I would feel like even if you wanted to become that tax haven, it would take decades to even start competing with a state like North and South Dakota because they've had such a head start on it. It would take a, a long, long time and in the long run, probably wouldn't even be worth it in the first place as well. Well, you've been speaking with Patrick Hulikan. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com to read more about the stories we talked about as well as the latest in Minnesota news and politics again over at minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950. (laughs) 